from producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me. Read all of our stories over at the michiganinsider.com, michigan.247sports.com. This episode is going to be previewing Michigan at Penn State. We'll do our over-unders as we always do. We'll identify some keys to the game. We'll make our final predictions. But before we get to that, there are two talking points. Not so much from the press conferences this week, more from the just overall national football discussion that that I think both of us have have things to say. Uh, The first one occurred last night. The college football playoff rankings came out. And I think you and I both said on Sunday when we did our uh, post-game episode, it doesn't really matter, you know, if they're five, six, seven, eight. It, it they really ha- they have to win out for it to be relevant. There's some intrigue in terms of New Year's six rankings, and and it's it's an, it's a snapshot into how the committee views the Wolverines. But I don't think either of us were arguing hard for Michigan ahead of Cincinnati or Michigan State or, or Oklahoma. Um, I mean, those four teams, you could probably put them in any order right now. You know, Oklahoma has some big games. Michigan and, and Michigan State both have to play Penn State and Ohio State. So the the picture will be a little bit more clear naturally in three weeks. So we didn't care where they were ranked. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know if we ever really care, but but probably could have gone either way. Then Michigan was ranked ahead of Michigan State. They moved up to number six, Michigan State was number three last week. They moved down to number seven. And I think the the issue you and I are both taking is how this turned into some gigantic, like, I don't know, crime against humanity that Michigan was ranked ahead of Michigan State. Obviously, the two teams played on October 30th. Michigan State won 37 to 33. That matters. I mean, who wins the game does matter. But... It can't be the only thing that matters. That's what that's what drives me nuts. It's like this logic, and I saw lots of national media reporters. Uh, in addition to obviously, Michigan State fans will be upset, but that's that's expected. Not, I'm sure Michigan fans, if the shoe was on the other foot, would would fight for their team as well. But but the national media outlets constantly saying things like, "Man, if there was only some way to decide which of these teams was better, perhaps on October 30th." Or, you know, you know, having all these like kind of sarcastic, snarky remarks implying that that Michigan State already proved that it's better than Michigan. And I I hate that logic because by that exact same logic, shouldn't Purdue be ahead of Michigan State? They literally just played. They played more recently than Michigan and Michigan State. And Michigan State got creamed. I mean, they were eh, maybe not creamed, but they were thumped pretty good. They they never led. They were down by double digits more than half of the game and they gave up almost 600 yards of offense. Like it was not a good performance for Michigan state. And, and, you know, you throw that in with the fact that Michigan so far this season now, you know, strength of schedule is, is I guess somewhat relevant, but these two teams have played very similar schedules so far. Michigan has the edge in points per game, yards per game, points allowed per game, yards allowed per game. You could run down the list you know, Michigan State's a little bit more explosive in terms of yards per play and big plays. They are a little bit better in the red zone. Otherwise, Michigan has the edge in every category. Like, it's not this complete insane stretch to say that when both these teams are 8-1 and one and have one road loss to a ranked team, that Michigan's resume and performance has been a little bit better. They had a very nice win over Wisconsin, who's thumped Purdue 30-13, to 13, by the way. You know, they have a nice win over Wisconsin. Michigan State has a nice win over Michigan at home. It's this this guffawing that this has already been decided makes no sense when Michigan State coughed up a hairball against Purdue a week later. I mean, that's what the whole point of this college football playoff thing is. It's not just like the two games or three games that you play against the other top 10 teams. It's the whole season. I mean, there's there's a reason Purdue is not in the top of the rankings despite beating Iowa 
and Michigan State. It's because they lost to Minnesota. They lost to Wisconsin. Minnesota, same deal. They have some nice wins this year. They also lost to Bowling Green. So it's it. you have to win all of your games to be undisputed at the top. And if you lose a game, well, then that's subject to the committee. And, and honestly, I, I think you could go either way. I, I personally would probably put Michigan State ahead because when the chips are on the table, they, they did win. But I don't think there's like this giant argument in favor of that. Michigan has done really, really well this season. And then I think the thing, and I know, Steve, you've got a lot to say about this. If the shoe was on the other foot, if, if Michigan had beaten Michigan State at home and had lost to Purdue the following week, nobody would be put, saying Michigan should be number six in the country. Nobody outside of, I guess, Michigan fans. They would all be saying, wow, Jim Harbaugh's team choked again. They lost again. He's lost the locker room. They didn't have them focused. He needs to be on the hot seat. This is why he can't get over the hump. And they would have, they would have been vouching for him to drop out of the top 10. And that, that brings up an interesting question. Why is Michigan State being talked about so differently? Almost as if that Purdue loss was just, it almost didn't happen. It was hardly, I mean, it was, it was notable, but it was hardly the national news talking head discussion point that it would have been had Michigan, say, lost to Indiana Saturday night. Instead, they went out and took care of business. I think they, they did, I mean, they beat Indiana by three touchdowns and kind of left no doubt in a lot of ways. So as far as what it means, I think it's, it's for Michigan fans, real quick, I think it is a, a good sign for the Wolverines that the committee likes how dominant Michigan has been in its wins this season. They have great game control scores. They've, they've put up really good yardage. They actually outgained Michigan State by 157 yards when they played each other. So I think that is a benefit to Michigan if you're, if you're dreaming of the 11-1 and one playoff case, I think the committee would listen, honestly. I, I think the way Michigan has played uh, you know, is being perceived in the most positive possible way by the playoff committee. Uh, and then the other thing to keep in mind is even if Michigan and Michigan State both lose to Ohio State, which I think I currently expect them to, Michigan being ahead of the Spartans is relevant because that will, that will help them get to the Rose Bowl, presuming Ohio State makes the playoff. Now, the Rose Bowl can technically decide who they want to pick. I think they would pick Michigan if they were ranked similarly regardless. But obviously, it's an easier decision for the Rose Bowl if Michigan's just straight up ranked ahead. So anyways, that was not exactly what I wanted you to discuss in terms of the significance of being number six. But, But Steve, you and I, I think we're in agreement. It wasn't that Michigan was ranked ahead. That was, you know, the the actual ranking wasn't something that stood out to us. It was the gigantic outcry that Michigan State didn't deserve to be dropped more than three spots for losing by eleven points to Purdue. What, what's what's your take on this? What's what's your reaction? I uh, you know, <laughs> it's just. It's so stupid how Michigan I just this this kind of put me over the edge a little bit with with the way that Michigan is covered compared to uh some other teams in the country. I thought one of the ironic things is if here's if if you like a lot of the argument was about well, if Oregon is still ahead of Ohio State, then how could how could Michigan pass Michigan State? Which was which I actually at first I was like, yeah, I get I could see the logic. But what was ironic is the way you read it from at least from a, a handful of the same garbage national writers that are are always looking for a reason uh to put Michigan down. The the ironic thing is like it was almost as if they were it was almost like they were arguing for Ohio that Ohio State should be ranked ahead of Oregon, but that because they're not, that Michigan can't be ranked ahead of Michigan state because truth be told, Oregon's lost garbage. Stanford's terrible. Ohio state's only losses to Oregon. You know, I think I, I put Ohio state on Oregon. 100%. I think Ohio state should be ahead of Oregon. Absolutely. 
So I'm with you as far as like, I don't really care about the actual what the ranking is because I think what we said before the show, I think I even tweeted it last night. If Michigan State runs the table, they will be in the playoff, no doubt. And they deservedly so. Should be, yeah. Right. So, I mean, it'd be, it would take something, you know, mind-boggling. Uh, I believe they'd pass – and a win over Ohio State, Michigan State is leaping Cincinnati. They're leaping Michigan. They're obviously leaping Ohio State. Um, you know, and then they're going to the conference championship. They win that game. They're a shoo-in for the playoff, as they should be. It, But, it, yeah, so it's not about the ranking. Uh, it's a, it was, it's way more about the reaction. Uh, not going to call any, I'm not going to say names, but you have one national writer who just gets off on crapping on Michigan constantly. Couldn't help, but send like seven tweets last night after this was announced about the, about that subject. Uh, just, you can, I could just, I can just vi- envision this guy foaming at the mouth while he's like typing these tweets because it he just can't wrap his head around the fact that this that this is the way it went mind you this is somebody who picked Michigan to finish 500 this year and has been on the mountaintop of the Jim Harbaugh is on the hot seat he's the a perfect perfect and not the only this is not the only national writer mind you but is the one that I always think of perfect example of what you said if the shoe had been on the other foot would have been the first person about Harbaugh, but you know, Michigan can't finish the job. Harbaugh can't finish the job, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and that, and this, this was what put me over the top. You know, Michigan state never led in that game against Purdue. It, the, the game was or The outcome was maybe only in doubt for like a three or four minute stretch in the fourth quarter when state brought it to within eight Purdue marched right back down the field. I mean, that was really the only point. Maybe well, I got, I'm sorry. I, I know State came back and tied it, but either way, Purdue was in control of that game for probably about 80 percent of it. Uh, Purdue is not a terrible team. They they this moved them into ranking, so it's it's not like it's a horrible loss. But you remove the the narratives, you remove the stories around each of these games, and you look at Michigan's only loss is on the road to a top 10 team by four points with a couple here and there instances that absolutely could have changed the outcome of the game. That you, I mean, you say that they might have the best one loss in the country of the teams that have one loss. You could, I mean, there's other, you know, Ohio State, Alabama, you know, Texas A&M is looking pretty good, so that that looks like a decent loss right now too. But it's in the conversation. So, yeah, no, don't give one rip about where the teams are actually ranked right now because I, I still believe that they're that it'll work themselves out. Like you said, Michigan State and Michigan both still have to play Ohio State and Penn State. You know, we'll learn who the who comes out of this in three weeks. Uh, way more about the reaction because it was just so it's so it's almost it's so like predictable at this point. You know that this is what this is the way. The minute that Michigan State was or that Michigan was put ahead of Michigan State, I said I the reactions are going to be so predictable for this because and it's going to come from the same people, like I said, who who probably don't even watch the, maybe they watch the game, but you know, the same people who were calling for Harbaugh's head heading into the season and then picking them to go five and seven, six and six, you know, saying that, uh, you know, his time in Michigan was up. He, he couldn't finish the deal. So, yeah, I mean, I, I hate biting on stuff like that, but this put me over the top with like, you know, I've always kind of said, I think, Michigan gets unfairly lumped in with with programs like Texas, USC, Tennessee, Nebraska, who have been by and large garbage for the last 10, 12 years. Whereas Michigan, not elite, but they're right, they're squarely in that second group outside of the usual suspects like Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma insert other sec team in there you know like an lsu or florida a couple other programs that are that are right up there Notre dame maybe you know but michigan's squarely in that second group and they are have consistently played a tier above these other programs but but michigan's always lumped in uh with these uh, with these programs who who continue to have real problems basically year in and year out at this point and here's Michigan for the third time in what five years is in no in, in the playoff hunt in November. So 
Yeah. Like I said, I hate biting on that stuff, but oh my gosh, man. I just, it's just so ridiculous and so predictable at this point. It's so cliche. Like, like have some, like, think for yourself, you know, it's just, it's so, it feels so easy for these pundits to just take shots at Michigan because they're just going to get, they're going to get pats on the back and you're right. You're right. You know, cause, cause it's, it is, it's fashionable to hate on Michigan. Um, so yeah, but I got, like I said, long story short, three main points. I, I say this the whole time knowing I think Ohio state should be ranked ahead of Oregon. So it's not hypocritical to think Michigan state should, or Michigan should be ranked ahead of Michigan state. Michigan state will go to the playoff if they win out. So this ranking is really irrelevant at the end of the day. And C, I don't even know what C was. It's something good, but well, that it, 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 I, I might, I might know what you were going to say. It doesn't really matter. These aren't right. the top four teams. This right. is, I mean, the it blows my mind, and I get why, but I, it does kind of blow my mind that there's all this talk about you know only the top four matter. Why? Why is everyone trying to get their yeah. shots off? Even even the people in favor of Michigan being ahead. It's the number six and number seven teams. Has there ever been so much pissing and moaning about the, the two teams that are, are probably out of the picture right now? Right. I mean, and, and, and obviously if either of them beats Ohio state, then things get a lot more interesting, but, but I'm not sure that either are going to beat Penn state right. necessarily. And so, yeah, it's, um, that's the, that's the other irony. <laughs> like both these teams could very well, I think you even said that last night, both these teams yeah. could very well end up nine and three. Like and, and that playing is in the Florida bowl games yeah. well within the realm of possibility. So <laughs> no, it really, it, it really is. I mean, I, I, you know, when I was watching them in September and October, I saw both of them as nine and three teams. Now I didn't know Penn state was going to, to stumble the way that they have, but you know, and kind of also be in that nine and three, maybe eight and four type type quality of team. I'm not predicting records here, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird amount of, airtime devoted to teams that based on the playoffs parameters are not super relevant until they beat Ohio state, if they beat Ohio state. So yeah, I thought, thought it was interesting. I, I, I will say, I think there's some relevancy to the rankings just because the new year six selection process and things like that. And I, I know Michigan fans would infinitely rather go to the Rose bowl and play in Oregon or Utah than, than go to, I don't know the peach bowl and play. I don't know who they would play. I don't know who's, who's in line for what, but regardless, I, I, the Rose bowl obviously holds a special place in Michigan fans hearts. So some relevancy, but ultimately, I mean, come on. Like, and, and I will say when it, when it first happened, I thought ES, I thought the whole ESPN panel was going to rip it to shreds. You know, think, you know, I, th- I thought, wondered if what, what Herb street, you know, Reese Davis, um, Joey Galloway, you know, what those kind of, pl- what those kind of people w- were going to say, they seemed kind of in favor of it, which, you know, maybe speaks to maybe there's a vocal minority here. Um, same time, these teams are so even, they have the same record. They have the same road record. I believe, I think maybe Michigan State has one more road win. Um, they have the same big 10 record. It seems like they've had the same amount of trap games slash games where they made uncharacteristic uncharacteristic mistakes slash games where they started to blow teams out in surprising fashion. I mean, they're, they're, they've had very, very similar seasons. It's okay for them to maybe go back and forth down the stretch here. <laughs> so it's anyways, enough on that. The other topic I want to discuss, and this is not something that's as much of a national discussion, although I could see it becoming one uh, in the next day or so is I was thinking about this and someone on a radio show I was doing asked me about this, you know, how important is this game for the Jim Harbaugh tenure perception? And we don't need to talk about Harbaugh specifically, but in terms of the team, I'm going to make the case. And, and this can be one of those heat check moments. You can come and, and reel me in if I'm out of line here. I think this game is more important to the long-term perception of Michigan than the Ohio state game is. And, and if I worded that slightly off, maybe I'll, I'll correct it in my explanation, but right now, Michigan is eight and one. They are a top 10 team. I don't think very many people are, 
I don't know if anyone's expecting Michigan to beat Ohio State. I think anyone who would be predicting it is doing so a little bit with hope in mind. Now, we'll see Ohio State. They'll, they'll face Michigan State before, so we'll see just how good they are. But I think most Michigan fans are, are kind of understanding of the fact. Now, they can be mad. They can be upset that it's this way. But they're kind of understanding the fact that Ohio State's having a better seven, eight-year stretch than either of these programs have ever had, period. And so in terms of, in terms of dominance against Big Ten teams, in terms of final rankings, in terms of um, undefeated seasons, I mean, it's, a, it's almost a surprise when they lose one game in the regular season these days. So I think it seems like Michigan fans are, are in the situation where the Ohio State game is kind of house money. But the Penn State game is not. Penn State, while very good, I think they are good. They've beaten Wisconsin. They've beaten Auburn. If they have a healthy Sean Clifford all season, I kind of think that they beat Iowa. And I think that they beat, I certainly beat, think that they beat Illinois. So they're not, they're, they're, you know, one injured quarterback away from being in the same discussion as Michigan and Michigan State. And if you look over the past few years, Michigan has been much more of a Penn State program than an Ohio State program. Penn State beat Ohio State the one year and won the Big Ten title. But other than that, which is also a season where Michigan beat them, they, these both these teams have kind of been in that same boat, kind of, as you said, that second tier. I think Auburn's in that same group. I think Notre Dame's finally getting out of that group, but maybe Oklahoma State's in there. There's a couple programs that are consistently good. And they just haven't haven't broken through to the to the playoff yet. And so I think this is maybe a little bit more of a gauge of where Michigan's at than the Ohio State game would be. Now, obviously, if Michigan beats Ohio State, that would mean more to Michigan fans. Duh. But in terms of how realistic this game is and what's at stake, I think this is a arguably a more important game for Michigan to not lose or Michigan to win than, than the Ohio State game is. Because if they lose, well, as we said, they're probably going 9-3. and three. They're probably in one of the two Florida Bulls that they seem to, I mean, I've covered four of them at this point, I think, maybe maybe only three, but it seems like I've covered four of them at this point. Uh, and, and this season, while a season of progress, still leaves Michigan fans wanting more. It still leaves Michigan fans upset about how things transpired, still leaves Michigan fans not sure if Jim Harbaugh is the answer. If they win, it will be their... Well, I guess Penn State probably won't end up being a ranked win, but they are ranked in the AP poll right now. To be their second ranked win of the season, it firmly puts them in the top 10, I think, for the rest of the season. Even if they lose to Ohio State, it guarantees them a New Year's Six Bowl almost and probably sends them to Pasadena. So this to me, this game is, to me, a gauge of whether this team is improved or a team that's taking a step forward. I think there's a big difference between improving from one season to the next and taking a step forward as a program. If they beat Penn State on Saturday, I think then you start discussing, was this Michigan's best team under Jim Harbaugh? Even if it technically ends up with the same regular season record as 2018 and and, and 2016, this feels like a game that Michigan, past Michigan teams, would make a lot of mistakes, would stumble maybe I mean honestly they kind of did it against Michigan State they they made a lot of uncharacteristic mistakes they didn't get a ton of luck falling their way but they also didn't create their own luck and they didn't close out the game if they can find a way to win this game I think that provides maybe less value than the Ohio State game than beating Ohio State would but if you factor in the odds of it happening this is not a perfect Penn State team this is a game Michigan can can prove that this year is quote unquote different, that the culture is, you know, quote, quote unquote changed for the better, as they've been saying all season. This is the kind of game that 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 a team with a good culture taking a step forward as a program wins. Ohio State game. Honestly, maybe I'm too cynical. Maybe I maybe I'm too blunt with this. That's a house money game. Michigan should try. Of course, the, you know, they should be trying to win. But as, as a you know objective observer. That's a that's a heat check game. That's a, you know, shoot your shot, but understand that Ohio State's on a different level from a talent, recent history and success standard. Steve, what do you think? Am I am I 
out of line here thinking that this game will tell us more about where Michigan's at as a program than than the Ohio State game is? I buy, I, I can buy the argument. Yeah, I mean, biggest reason, like you said, I like I think it all goes back to the fact that if they lose, it, yeah, they're stuck. I think Michigan fans may feel like this program is stuck in a perpetual like nine and three, eight and four hell. You know, where you are playing in the Outback Bowl or the Citrus Bowl, uh, you know, games that you don't particularly hope to be playing in at the beginning of the season. They're fine like once in a while. Right. Not meant to be the the standard. Exactly. And so even though, again, you go back to the preseason, nobody was picking Michigan to go nine and three, ten and two, or whatever. At this point, being eight and one, it would be now it would be a relative, it would be a disappointment if they were to finish at nine and three and, and go to one of those bowl games. So yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, because like you said, Ohio State's on a run that no team in the Big Ten has ever been on. It's it's it is, it's a historic run that they're on, you know, and for all the guffawing about Harbaugh and not being able to finish the job. I mean, Penn State had a, a blocked kick and one win. They've had one win against Ohio State under Franklin, and I don't even know how long before that. You know, Michigan, not the only major program in the Big Ten that has struggled against the Buckeyes. Everybody has. So, um, you know, I, I agree, you know, because if they get past this, the way I, this is the way I always look at it like this. And, and context removed, just as a Michigan football program, if the game has anything meaningful on the line as far as division, conference, championships on it, the game being Michigan-Ohio State, I believe it's a successful season for Michigan. Obviously way more successful if they pull that off, but to get to that point, you know, because before the this run of Ohio State, it's so you know it's been it's been a sort of a typical rivalry. Michigan had a good run, but it's always been a game you never really knew what was going to happen going in. Michigan, the coach that they have a statue for outside of the facilities named for him, was ten nine and one against Ohio right, State. Right. So, you know, if if they can get to that game against Ohio State and the division is on the line, and and then very possibly conference championship berth or a conference championship is on the line to me that's a successful season to do that they got to beat Penn State so I you know I I actually buy a lot of what you're saying in that because it is 10 and 2 just sounds looks and will result in a much better postseason situation for Michigan than 9 and 3 does because yeah like I said I just I think a lot of people I think that's what you would start to hear is that Michigan is stuck in that 9 and 3 Meyer, because think about it this way, and this is the other thing I said before the show, is I, I, I would be shocked if anybody listening out there had would disagree with any of this. If you said Michigan was going 9-3 and three at the beginning of the season and you picked which three teams do you not want Michigan to lose to, it would yep. absolutely be <laughs> Michigan State, Penn State, and Ohio State. Even, even with people not sure what Michigan was going to look like this year, saying they'd be happy with a 9-3, and three, I think a nine and three with losses to those three teams, just it still leaves that same sour taste in your mouth uh, because it, it really takes away from the nine because you beat, you know, a win against Wisconsin is really nice, but you lose to those three teams. They're kind of the, the, the teams that you have been measuring yourself against the last 10 years, 20 years, whatever. It just, it, it really puts a, dark cloud over it's a it's the worst nine and three outcome Michigan could ask for so yeah this game is huge and and a big reason why is because yeah like this Penn State team is very beatable this is not like Michigan's had a tough schedule this year but it it's strangely been not as difficult as maybe we would have thought on paper heading in you know a lot of people a lot of people right a lot of people had Penn State as as a potential playoff contender a top 10 team I think they were preseason top 10 or just outside of it no, that game looks very winnable now. And really, if we're being honest, and we talked about this a little bit on the Indiana recap, even Ohio State doesn't look as daunting necessarily. They're still going to be the favorite. They'll still probably they'll still probably be who we're going to pick when that game comes across. But it's not nearly maybe what we thought it would be coming into the season. They've looked very um, human human against some 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 any decent team they've played. So, you know. Yeah, no, I, I agree though. This is a huge, huge game for Michigan. I think it's a it's it's a must win. I mean, it's a must win for more reasons than just to continue 
a potential path to the conference title in the playoff. I just think it's a must win for, yeah, like you said, the perception of where things are at for this program in the big picture. Yeah, I think it, maybe it's moving the goalposts. But, yeah, I think if you start 8-1 and one and, and you don't get to 10 wins, that's a dud of a season. If you have these great wins, you know, a great win at Wisconsin, you thump Washington when people thought Washington was was all right. Uh, you know, you take care of business in pretty dominant fashion against teams like Northwestern, Indiana, teams that everyone thought was going to give you trouble or be like a trap game at entering the season. You win at Nebraska. I mean, it's – I don't want to say it's wasted if you go 9-3, and three, but it kind of is. Like, very few people are going into next year. Because the other thing to keep in mind is, is Michigan, despite being – having some guys who are going to leave for the draft, you know, Aiden Hutchinson, kind of feels like David Ajabo will at this point, uh, you know, Daxton Hill. Like, they're going to have some players depart, a couple offensive linemen as well, probably Josh Ross. But a lot of this team – can come back next year. And, and, you know, I guess we'll see everyone has to make their own decisions, but this is a young core, especially on the offensive side of the ball that I think if Michigan can, can break through this season, even if it's not the playoffs, even if it's just a new Year's six bowl, I think suddenly that culture can continue. It can, it can advance. They don't have to go back to the drawing board, find new assistant coaches, find a new culture or mantra. It can it can create a lot of momentum heading into next season and and uh, not no time for it in this podcast, but the 2022 season. I mean, the schedule is aligning in Michigan's favor a little bit next year, um, with the exception, of course, of, of Ohio State being on the road. But yeah, it's um, I think it's big for, for just the perception. And then also, if you think about internally inside the locker room, I think it can be a very. I think it can get Michigan players to really believe in that playoff discussion in going toe-to-toe with Ohio State down the stretch. Speaking of this game, though, we're going to hit a quick break. On the other side, we'll talk about our over-unders and do our keys for the game, along with our final predictions for the matchup. You're listening to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Thanks for waiting. So we're going to combine, in the interest of time, the the over-unders and the keys. So a couple of these over-unders will be keys to us in this game, and we'll we'll identify them as such. Last week, I went six for eight. So pretty good week for me. You went three for eight, Steve. So I now have a 38 to 35 lead over you. We're, we're both above 500, but not, not by a ton. That's out of 63 possible, possible points. Our, our over-unders are... are Provided by Neil Beige Galaga via Zool on the message board. Um, he tweets them at me every week. It's a fun way to, to break down the matchup. Starting with number one, Michigan runs on 12 and a half of first 20 plays, not including punts. So do they come out run heavy or do they try to go through the air? Penn State, uh, they're... they're Past defense numbers don't look good, but their coverage efficiency stats. I mean, this is this is a team that that's going to make it kind of tough to throw on you. Obviously, I think Neil's trying to get a little bit out of us in terms of running back injuries. Mike Hart kind of played coy today. You know, first he asked if Penn State had revealed their injuries, and then he said, "Hope hope to see them on Saturday regarding Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards." Does Michigan come out run heavy or is this maybe a little bit more like the Michigan state game and, and a little bit the Wisconsin game as well, where, where Michigan comes out with a really pass heavy 
game plan. What do you think? 12 and a half out of the first 20 plays. I'll say under just because whether whatever combo of Edwards, Corum, well, obviously Haskins is healthy, but whatever combo of that three guys, those three are able to play. Uh, Michigan, I, I think running Hassan Haskins into the ground to begin the game is not an optimal strategy. It's hard to imagine that either of Corum or Edwards would be 100%. So you think that you got to think they're going to ride Haskins early. I just don't think they're going to want to come right into the game and ride him that hard. I think Michigan's going to want to try to throw the football and, and uh, you know, kind of get that going. I feel like that, I feel like that just, just given the personnel issues, I think that might be the route they're going to go. So in terms of the broad question, run heavy versus pass heavy, I kind of think, Michigan's going to be more pass heavy just because of how good Penn state secondary is. And, and, and they're good in a way that can hurt you in terms of, you know, picking off plays, um, getting their, their hands on, on passes a little bit kind of feel like there'll be an opportunity, maybe similar to Washington where they might be able to run the ball and, and, you know, establish authority up front a little bit. But as you, I think you bring up a great point. What is the value in having Haskins take the ball on 15 of the first 20 snaps? I mean, I, I, there really isn't much value at all in, in this particular game. So I, I think they'll go pass heavy. Uh, I'm going to take the un, under, though. I mean, thir- 13 or more, that's, that's a really high amount of runs in the first 20 plays, especially when you're starting to feel a little bit good about your, your, your starting quarterback. You're starting to, he's got a little confidence. The receivers seem to be in line to be somewhat healthier. I don't know how much more healthier, but, but you know, someone like Roman Wilson could see him kind of stepping up and Cornelius Johnson just coming off a 100 yard game. So I'm going to take the under on the runs. Number two, Cade McNamara throws for 8.5 yards per attempt. Uh, in just a moment, I'll pull up maybe what he's done all season. But that's that's a pretty high number. I mean, that, that would imply some deep shots are working, and he's completing passes at a high percentage. What kind of game do you expect him to have this season, or this, this week against Penn State? Just going with my knee jerk on this one. I don't have all the stats. and I'm going under on that one. That feels pretty high. I, I feel like could I mean I don't no I'm still going to go under. I don't anticipate necessarily Michigan's going to dink and dunk. Um but I just don't see eight and a half. Particularly again we have to see you know now all of a sudden Andrew Anthony's health is is a a thing for Michigan as far as like it's actually semi significant if he's able to go or not. Um you know Cornelius Johnson has really stepped up though. I feel like you know he played he was arguably Michigan's best player against Indiana. He was one of them uh, along with Haskins, but uh, you know, Roman Wilson seems to be healthy again. I'm still going with the under though. I just don't see Michigan uh, hitting that number. Yeah. Penn Penn state's good at this. I mean, they are top 10 nationally in yards per attempt allowed. I I think it would be kind of foolish to suggest that, that McNamara would be the one to, to break their passing offense. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what CJ Stroud did, but I would take off a couple yards per attempt from what Stroud did just based on what we've seen all season. Yeah. They're ninth nationally in passing yards per attempt allowed eighth nationally in passer rating allowed. Uh, So I, you know, one of my keys to the game is on offense. Michigan has got to play smart in the passing game. Cause I think there will be opportunities to move the football in the passing game. I just I don't think there's going to be anybody wide open. I think it's going to be a lot more like this throw has to be on point. This catch has to be fought for. You know, it can't be some of their big plays this season have just been like comically open plays. Got to got to be sharper. And if it's not sharper, then you got to be smarter with your play calls. Um, So I'm going to take the under on that one. Number three, 1.5 players with at least five catches. So do two players get five or more catches? So do they pick, you know, as you kind of suggested, is Cornelius Johnson someone they really try to feed? 
or or do they spread it out a little bit? What uh, say you on this one? I see Michigan, and this is a good thing. I see them being able to spread the ball out a little bit more. Uh, talk about Cornelius Johnson. Just mentioned Roman Wilson. Looks like he's healthy. I think the emergence of Schoonmaker, because all dressed last Saturday, I'd be surprised if he didn't make make a go of it this Saturday. Yeah, feels like you're only game in football. You're only a really a game time decision once. Right. The next time you're theoretically more healthy. Right. So with those, who, you know, I think that's why. Like, I think I don't know if that's what we talked about after Indiana or not, but I, I thought that Schoonmaker's emergence against Indiana was was huge for Michigan because. I think it allows them to run some more two tight end stuff in the passing game. Um, so I'm going to go with, I'm going to, I don't think they, I think they spread the ball out a little bit more. So. All right. Our last one, we, we've given Neil a hard time. Um, oh, sorry. I'm going to take the under, I, I don't know how many players are going to get five plus catches. Cause that, that hasn't happened a ton this season. You know, it seems like they spread it out so much that, that nobody gets the five catches sometimes. Uh, so I'm going to take, even that's a low under, but I, I think I'm going to take it. All right. Number four, Neil's having some fun with us. Uh, Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards, Andrew Anthony, and Eric all combined for 99.5 yards from scrimmage. Uh, he, he noted, sorry, had to do it. So the, obviously these guys are all the, the day to days. I, I think Jim Harbaugh might have called them probable on Monday. Uh, not, I mean, it was just on the radio show. I don't know that he was like declaring it with, with, with a gavel or anything, but that is a lot of offensive firepower. Do they get to 100 yards from scrimmage? That's Corum Edwards, Anthony, and all. What do you think, Steve? I feel like at least a couple of them will be healthy. I, I don't know which two we, we both think seem to think all will be healthy, but uh, the other players, hard to necessarily tell. Do they get combined to 100 yards from scrimmage? Uh, yeah. So I want to plead the fifth on this one, to be honest with you. Um, I'll say I'll say under. I'm going to go with the under. No elaboration. Yeah, I'll go with the under as well. I. <laughs> It, it's a little bit of a, of a joke now, but I, I will say, I mean, it's not like, not like the team, you know, it's, is leaking this information or even, even if it's embargoed, it's not like this is um, constant chatter that they want out there. <laughs> you know, this is not, so it's uh, so not only are we going to, say here and, and, and say that we, we don't know because they are legitimately day to day, but this isn't like some us playing coy either. Um, we're kind of going, I mean, I, I think all feels like he'll play the other guys very much could play, but as you point out, Steve, I mean, if, if Corum's on the field, does that mean that he's a hundred percent or is that him being on the field just to help spell Haskins a little bit, give him a little bit of a breather. Um, one more key for the offense. Well, actually, I'll talk about it in, in just a moment. Uh, we can we can move on to the defense. Number five, 3.5 sacks for Michigan's defense. Does feel like this this defensive front is, is generating some serious pressure. Will it amount to sacks against a quarterback who, I guess not dissimilar to Cade McNamara, can, can avoid pressure you know he understands how to dodge it got got a little bit of that middle infielder athleticism can uh, you know don't know if don't know if I would call him dual threat maybe maybe Penn State people do uh three and a half sacks for Michigan's defense I I think they'll have a lot of pressure I'm gonna take the under on that sack total what do you what do you think Steve I'm gonna say the same other reason why is uh because of Jahan Dotson I, I think he had like 230 yards receiving or something last week and he it was like 175 of them were like after the catch or something. Like he had some outrageous after the catch numbers. I think mm-hmm. Penn state would probably with Michigan's pass rush as, as elite as it's been, I can see Penn state trying to, to do maybe do a similar thing with him and feed him the ball early and let him try to make some plays after the catch. Um, either that, or if Michigan devotes too much attention to him, whoever else, 
you know, whether it's Parker Washington or, or either their tight ends with Strange and, and Theo Johnson, uh, you know, I could see Penn State adapting or adopting a more of a quick strike type situation that like a lot of teams have been against Michigan. I mean, it's 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 really one of the only you can't, you know, five set drops are not going to work against Michigan. Uh, just, they're just not going to. So, you know, I, I, I would just I would say. Uh, over. Right. Is that my off? Whatever. On, oh, on under the on the, sorry. Under on the sacks. Penn State goes to Dotson, tries to let him make plays after the catch. Yeah. Yeah. Regarding the stats uh, to what you were saying so far this season, Penn State, 56 percent of their receiving yards have come after the catch. So they are a pretty good yards after the catch team. Uh, you mentioned Dotson. They've got a, they got a few guys who I feel like can can uh, do make some moves downfield as far as um, sacks allowed this season Penn State ranks they rank uh, 69th in sacks allowed per game but Michigan is only 62nd in sacks per game so it, it it kind of does depend on the offensive tackles and what kind of performance they have that particular day you know just with the job on Hutchinson they're number one and number two in the Big Ten in sacks but Michigan is 62nd nationally in sacks so you can tell a lot of it's going to come from from what those two are able to to produce. Number six, Sean Clifford rushes for 25 yards total, not counting sacks. So sack-adjusted rushing yards. Does Sean Clifford get to 25 in this game? What do you think, Steve? Under? He's only rushed for 20, 122 yards all year. I guess that probably is sack-adjusted. Um, as far as sack adjusted, he has 252. Oh, no, he doesn't. Hold on. He has 231 sack adjusted uh, rushing uh, yards, 5.6 yards per carry. And he's right. played nine games, but he's been unhealthy for a couple of them. That's that's what's that's the one thing giving me pause, because my actually my initial thing was to say over because he's kind of one of those annoying like third and six quarterbacks. You know, yeah, that, that, yeah. that make the play. I mean, annoying and really in a positive light in that regard, but um, I'll still say under. He's just, it's not clear that he's 100% yet. He played really well. He threw the ball very well against Ohio State. Um, and obviously they put up numbers against Maryland, but I'm still going to go with the under on that. I'm going to take the over. Uh, I think, I think Thorne even got above 25. So I'm I'm going to take the over. I think you know Penn Michigan the way that they the way that they rush the passer. I think there's sometimes those pockets for for runs, and they'll take that risk because it's not always going to be there. But yeah, I, th- I think he can get to 25 sack adjusted. Um, plus, I I wonder if he'll be coached heading into this game if you see number 55 or 97 at this angle this far into your progression, just start running. Because I, I mean, I, I gotta think that they're trying to play a sack averse game, and and sometimes that can produce pretty good runs, even if it's only a few yards. I mean, that's you know, do that five times in a game, and you've got twenty five rushing yards. All right, now the Dotson one. Michigan allows eight point five catches to Jahan Dotson, over or under. That is an extremely high wide receiver over under, but but speaks to how dominant Dotson can be in terms of a true change the game kind of define the game basically beat Maryland by himself last week does he get to nine catches or more in your eyes yeah I'm gonna say over I mean he's averaging almost 10 in his last five games or so uh last two get last two games he had 11 catches each just feels like feels like with Clifford not 100 healthy I think they're relying on him even more than they were at the beginning of this. I mean, they've always, he's always been one of the best receivers in the, uh, in the country. I actually like Dotson. So he was a guy that real quick got to throw this in there. Cause I've been thinking about this with him uh, was a guy that a lot of schools kind of cooled on in the recruiting process. And he had actually moved down the rankings a decent amount throughout the process as well. Uh, I give him a ton of credit for becoming the receiver he's become because I think a lot of schools, maybe could have had this guy. Uh, so credit to Penn State for sticking with him through the process, uh, you know, and not 
uh, cooling on him like a lot of other schools did because now he's a I mean he's a first round draft pick next year. So, um, but I'm going to say over. I think they try to feed him. You know, he's their best player. I think they try to feed him the ball and, and let him try to make plays and and uh, you know give Michigan problems. I am going to take the under. Uh, so far this season, I think nine point or eight point five is a is a very much a good in play over under, especially the last two weeks against Ohio State and Maryland. He has been targeted thirty one times and has twenty two receptions. Uh, not going to do the quick math off the top of my head there, but it's around almost four hundred yards as well uh, and three touchdowns. So certainly could happen. I'm not ruling it out, but but I will I will point to last year. Dotson was very good and Penn state granted they had some quarterback issues them, themselves, but they didn't have a ton of other guys to throw to. And when Penn state played Michigan, Dotson had, he was targeted seven times, but he had just three catches for 30 yards. It, it actually uh, was his second quietest game over the last two seasons. And this was a Michigan secondary that albeit with the exact same players that, as this year, was just struggling and struggling and struggling to stop any top receivers. Indiana had guys going off and, and Michigan state had guys going off. I think, I think there's a little bit of confidence with Michigan that, that maybe they can, they can slow down Dotson. I think they have the, I don't, I don't know who would actually be put on him for the, for the bulk of the game. I'm not sure what, Michigan's game plan is as they're as they're continuing to like kind of tinker their their positions a little bit to to avoid substitutions things like that but so far this season it's been snuck into a couple of these press conferences the cornerbacks saying they felt really good about shutting the you know the one star receiver that they faced down now Penn State they've got playmakers all over the place but I think this is another this is a big key for the defense is I think if you can make Dotson inefficient, say he catches only half the tar- passes thrown to him, then maybe Penn State, you know, they, suddenly they have to scramble a little bit to try to find other ways to consistently move the football. So I, I got to think this is circled in red on the on the scouting report on the game plan is sell out to stop Dotson and make them beat you elsewhere. So I am going to take the under. The next one. Final one, which will be higher, Brad Robbins' total yards from punting or Michigan's total yardage from passing? So this is a there's, there's a couple angles here. One, how many times does Michigan punt? Two, how good does Brad Robbins punt? Three, how much does Michigan pass? And four, how many yards does that equate to? Passing yards versus punting yards. I am going to take the over. I, I think, or not the over, I'm going to take Brad Robbins' punting yardage exceeding Michigan's passing yardage. Because if he punts six times, which I think is a very fair amount against a very good Penn State defense, uh, it could be more than six. If he punts six times, averages 43 yards per punt, you know, he's starting to tip toward 300 yards passing. So I'm going to take the, I'm going to take Brad Robbins on this one. Steve, what do you think? Yeah, I'm taking Brad Robbins as well. I mean, he's been one of the best punters in the country. That he, he can he'll punt the ball for a lot of yards when he punts it. So not so 44. much forty four point eight his average this right? year. So not so much an indictment on the passing game as it is like Brad Robbins is a good punter. And like you said, Penn State's defense is good enough to definitely force Michigan to punt the ball uh probably consistently throughout the game. So uh I'm gonna go with uh, the punting yardage. All right, final thing for, for us today. Uh, any keys that you didn't mention that, that you feel worthy of being mentioned? Your final assessment of the matchup and your final score prediction? Penn State's rushing attack is just mind-boggling to me. You know, I don't know if they're it, – it must start up front, I'm thinking. If their leading rusher has 293 yards, Noah Kane, very – very mediocre, if not below average numbers for, for a team that, you know, had playoff aspirations at the beginning of the year. So yeah. 117th nationally in rushing yards per game, 119th nationally in rushing yards per carry. And I will say, I mean, you, you bring up it being up front. They have had some 
unexpected attrition sure. in the run game over the years between transfers. There was a, there was a, I believe a career ending injury. Um, there's obviously been NFL draft attrition as well. Right. So it's kind of a rebuilding year for that group. But, but as you said, I mean, even for rebuilding for a program like Penn state to be 117th and 119th in rushing. Well, Noah Kane was a pretty big time recruit. I mean, he was, was, yeah, he was. was a good win for them. And he's had, he's had experience too. Um, though, like I, I know what you're saying, uh, but, but yeah, that's not a number I would have ever thought we'd see at Penn state with as well as, as they've run the ball over the years. So that it just, that's kind of, that kind of sticks out to me a little bit. I've gone way back and forth on this game. Um, I mean, we even talked about it before we recorded, I was leaning towards Penn state, but after talking about it, like we have and seeing that, I just, I feel like Michigan's defense can find some success on Saturday. Uh, Penn state is very just, what a bizarre layout. You have a quarterback who's probably not 100%, or if he is, he's barely 100%. They do have good receivers. I like. I really like Parker Washington. I uh, think he's a really good player alongside Dotson. And their tight ends, I believe, have been inconsistent. I don't, I don't know. They, the Tyler Warren is a guy they've used in some unique situations, too. I think they've used him in sort of that, uh, you remember the old Blake Bell packages at Oklahoma? Uh, sort of an oversized, like, wildcat type situation you know that they have some guys that they can throw in there and do some stuff with but you know overall just going off the paper matchup it just I feel like that's an area where Michigan has a good chance to maybe slow Penn State down I this this does feel like a low scoring game you know because I like Penn State's defense I think Michigan's gonna have a harder time running the ball than they have against almost anybody this year um you know we'll see I know a couple of people who's it uh, who ran the ball down Ohio or uh, down Penn state's throat though. Somebody had a huge, was it Illinois was one dimensional in that game, but it was all running and not passing. So teams have had success, but they've also like Penn state's been tough. There, I guess it's been a little inconsistent either way. I think this is a defensive battle. I was leaning Penn state before, like I said, before we talked, my biggest reason why was sort of the intangible stuff for Michigan. You know, we just got done getting on the soapbox talking about the ranking and, and Michigan, you know, gets maybe not as not the respect they deserve nationally from some, from certain areas at the same time. I know you and I, you specifically, but I also went, we went back over the Michigan state game and like Michigan made a lot of mistakes that they hadn't made in really any other game, you know, this season. I don't know what that means. You know, that's a, this is the biggest game of the year. You know, is there something that about the, just the way things are run that they just seem to not play up to their standards in these bigger games made me kind of wonder if, if this was, was going to happen again on Saturday, but I'm, I'm kind of leaning back towards the idea that, that Cade McNamara's three best games this season have been at Wisconsin, at Nebraska and at Michigan state for whatever reason, he seems to play particularly well on the road. And I just, I think he's going to do just enough, loosen up that front seven, maybe enough to, to let Haskins have a few big carries and we'll see what the other guys, if they're healthy or not, but I'm going to go with Michigan. I, I'm going to say like, I think it's gonna be like 20 to 17. I think Michigan wins by a field goal. This might be a game where Jake Moody having to kick field goals all year might actually pay off for them. Uh, you know, that huge, huge field position battle coming right? up. Right. So, cause I think Penn state's kicker is really good too. So they, they have, they are second nationally in net punting yards. Michigan is sixth um, in terms of field goal percentage. Yeah. Uh, they have a good kicker. He isn't great in field goal percentage, but they are also uh, number six in punt return yards per attempt allowed. And these two teams are number one, and number two in the country in fewest kick return yards per attempt allowed. Penn state is number one. Michigan is number two. Penn state, I don't mean to cut you off, but I, Penn State, great field position team. And as you mentioned, with two good defenses, you're right. A 35-yard field goal might actually be of more value in this game. Right. Michigan 20-17, to 17, I, I do say this. This is a game I feel like could go either way. I, I think of, of maybe any game we've picked this year, even more than Michigan State, which I think we picked a close win for Michigan in that one, this one I feel like really could go either way. Vegas backs that up. I think it was a pick 'em 
the last I checked that maybe that's changed a little bit. I suspect Penn State may end up being favored by like one, one and a half points. Uh, but I'm going to go Michigan 20 to 17. I think they squeak it out and uh, set up a potentially big game in a couple weeks in Ann Arbor. Yeah, I think a couple other keys for me, you know, big one is can they get pressure on Sean Clifford? You know, this is from Pro Football Focus. When he is, when Sean Clifford is not pressured, he has completed 69.2% of his passes for 8.2 yards per attempt, 11 touchdowns, and one interception. When he is pressured, he is completing 45.8% of his passes for 5.5 yards per attempt, five touchdowns, and five interceptions. That's that's a huge, that's one of the bigger pressure, no pressure splits I've seen. I, I kind of look at this every before mi- every Michigan game just to see you know, how important that pressure could be. That's a big differential, and I think that's something where Michigan, if you're a Michigan fan looking for a reason, an early sign to be optimistic is if Hutchinson and Ajabo are creating pressure, I don't think Clifford's going to have this elite passing game. That's that's a big one. The field position battles I just mentioned. Uh, Penn State, not a great team in the return game, but in terms of coverage and kicking and punting, they're pretty good. And so, yeah, if, if it's going to be low scoring, got to score something in the red zone, right? This is that one game where maybe leading the country in red zone field goals and being top 20 in field goal percentage and everything. And uh, this is that one game where maybe that, that pays off. The other key I didn't mention, uh, I think Penn State is, it has the breadth of offensive playmakers. Got to be really careful about making sure the linebackers don't, inco- don't get caught in coverage. Uh, it's not been a strong suit of Michigan all season. You know, it's uh, obviously the players are confident in what they can, what they can do in that regard, but, but that's something Penn State has done against Michigan a few times. I think people remember Mike McRae. I believe it was Mike McRae trying to you know cover Saquon Barkley. Uh, I think Josh Uche was covering maybe KJ Hamler like 20, 30 yards downfield. Overall, I think Michigan will avoid it most of the time, but it really just takes four or five plays against Penn State. Historically speaking, that's how they've beaten Michigan. Is it's you know there's a lot of plays where they don't, they don't get what they want. But then there's a lot of plays where they can get 50 yards and a touchdown. So I think avoiding coverage mismatches, avoiding the big plays will be a big part of this. Um, I think that was all my keys. I am picking Michigan as well. I think, you know, you bring up a great point about the intangible part. Like, is this a game where Michigan suddenly misses a a blitz pickup or suddenly misses this thing that they, you know, suddenly is dropping passes? Um, I think there's a strong possibility of that happening. But if I'm picking based off how I pick, which is I look at who the better team is, shuffle a little bit for home versus away, but ultimately uh, go with the team that I think has more ways to win, it comes down to me is Michigan winning. Because Penn State, you mentioned the run game, a little bit one-dimensional. And I think they, you know, they have a good defense, but I think there is, because of how tough of a schedule they've played, there's a little bit of a film on what's going to work against Penn State's defense. You know, Wisconsin, Auburn, Ohio State, Iowa. They've played a few teams that in these like high-pressure, close-game situations. So and in the same nature that they're battle-tested and that they prob- and they're at home, so they're probably not going to crumble in the moment, they've also endured a lot of losses. They've also been exposed a few times this season. So I, I'm picking Michigan 27 I guess I'll do 27-24. I mean, I don't know if that'll be actually how many points Penn State scores, but it's. I do expect this to be a pretty close game. I think, honestly, Steve, I don't know about you, I think fans are kind of underselling how difficult Penn State is. I think that loss to Illinois convinced a lot of people that this was just not a not a um, you know top 10 caliber Penn State team. But as, as I've mentioned, if Clifford is healthy, against Iowa and against Illinois, they're probably eight and one at this point and probably in the top 10 with their only loss being a road loss to Ohio state. So it's, I think it's being a little undersold, but I we're both picking Michigan to win. So maybe we're a part of that. Uh, any, any final thoughts? Not really. I mean, Penn state also beat Auburn. That was a nice win. Yeah. They um, did. No, should not be underselling Penn state. Again, I don't think Penn state is whether, those two lot, you know, whether Clifford had been healthy with those two games or not, I'm not sure Penn State is 
the top 10 level team that people thought they were going in. I think you and I both actually were kind of down on Penn State heading into the year. The ironic thing is their unraveling really didn't maybe come the way we thought it would. Uh, I thought I would have picked Wisconsin to beat them to begin the season. And I Auburn was different because it was in, it was in Happy Valley. Uh, but still, like, you know, they, they very easily could have begun the season one and two. Uh, instead they, they get off to a good start and yeah, <laughs> things kind of like fizzle out a little bit. So did not expect Iowa and Illinois to be their big 10 West losses. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, you know, no, I, I really, like I said, I think this game could go either way. Um, not, not underselling Penn state at all. I say 20 to 17, it could be 2017 the other way. I feel the same way. The one similarity I do feel about this game compared to with Michigan state. And I still feel this way. Michigan has more blowout potential in this game. As far as like Michigan, I think is capable of running away with this one. Similar to like Wisconsin, maybe. Yeah, I think. And I think actually, that's right. You mentioned that we talked about that before. I wasn't taking, I wasn't taking that one from you either. I I feel now I feel bad. Oh no, 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 no. Go ahead. No, we did talk about that though before that. I wondered why that sounded familiar when I said it, but like, I think Penn state a little too one dimensional offensively to just throw all over Michigan. You know, if, if, if anything, if Penn state does win this game handily, they're going to have their best run. They're going to run the ball better than they have all season. Like that's going to be the only, to me, it'd be the only way they can blow Michigan out, but their defense. And I think Dotson are good enough to give them enough points to, to maybe beat Michigan, obviously. So um, yeah, big game, very big game. Yep. Big game. Lots of preview content to come over at the michiganinsider.com and michigan.247sports.com. I'll be I'll also be down there live on the scene. It'll be my fourth trip to state college. Uh so always always enjoy that. I, I I love good college football atmospheres. Haven't been there for a noon game, I don't think. Uh maybe in 2015 it was noon, but last two obviously have been crazy intense night games. This one guess guess we'll see what we we find. But for Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you next time. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount+. Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. 